This weekend's going to be kind of a preparatory weekend because coming up in two weekends' time at Cheltenham and three weekends' time at Frankston, we have our vision for 2020. And we're going to kind of be, uh, we're going to do a bit of uh, split vision this year. So this side of Christmas, I'm going to be sharing with you our new vision and mission statements uh, as a church and what that uh, looks like moving into the future. Uh, and also going to give you the feedback from our uh, Devote 3. So you might remember a few months ago, I gave each and every one of you an opportunity to speak into the future of Bayside Church, to mention one, two or three things that you might want to see as part of the future of Bayside as we embrace that future together as a church community. And so um, three themes came out of that uh, that resonate very strongly uh, between our Cheltenham and our Frankston campuses. And so I'm going to be sharing with you what those themes are. And then in the beginning part of next year, we're going to look at how that is fleshed out over the next three years. So Devote 3 uh, embraces the next three years of Bayside Church. So 2020, 21 and 22, which are years 28, 29 and 30 of Bayside Church. And so in uh, 2022, we're going to have a big 30th year celebration. That sound good? All right, so we're going to uh, enjoy a bit of an interview right now, and I want you to welcome uh, Christy Buckingham and Nicole Connor as they come to the platform. Okay. Wonderful. So, Nicole, it's great to have you here, and Mark, of course. We see Mark all the time because he's preaching, teaching as part of our teaching team here at Bayside, which is just wonderful. And, Nicole, it's lovely to have you here. And you're going to do a little bit of an introduction uh, for this interview. So I'll hand over to you right Thank now. Thank you. Lovely to be here, see all your beautiful faces. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, you know, if you read the Gospels, you will discover something about Jesus. And that is he has a sort of preoccupation that he never seems to really teach unless he tells a story. Have you noticed that? Jesus is an amazing storyteller. And many of us here in this room believe that Jesus is God incarnate, a picture of God. And so if the person of Christ can tell us something, it's that God is an amazing storyteller. And that's not surprising, is it? Because in a simplistic way, you and I are shaped here tonight by the sum of the stories we tell ourselves. Facts are interesting, but stories will change our lives. Dorothy Allison, the American writer, says, Stories are one sure way, I know, to touch the heart and change the world. I think Jesus would agree with her. I'm f I was fortunate enough to grow up in a home of storytellers. I um, come from a lineage of storytellers. My ancestry f shapes me in that way, and I think it's one of the things that led me to narrative therapy, something I studied and am quite passionate about. And narrative therapy recognizes that you and I are many stories. And sometimes what happens in life, situations come our way, events unfold, and we are faced with trauma or crisis. And what trauma tries to do is convince us that we only have one story, that one traumatic storyline. But that is not true. You are a many-storied person. You have multi-stories of dreams and hopes and skills and resistance. And what narrative therapy does is help us identify those stories and begin to tell them again. 
Auntie Barb Wingard it was a, is a Ghana elder in Adelaide, and she wrote a fabulous book called We Need to Tell Stories in Ways That Make Us Stronger. And in a sense, that's what narrative therapy is all about. It's us learning again to tell the stories, our preferred storylines, in ways that make us stronger. And I really love it because it lines up with what I believe God is all about. And narrative practice you can take into community and church settings, and we've been doing that here at Bayside, wonderful opportunity with the staff over the last few months, and learning to tell Bayside's story, remembering the stories that matter. And why do we do that? Because stories bring meaning to our lives. Stories shape us. How we hear a story, how we tell a story, shapes who we are and shapes who we are as a community. And Bayside wants to remember the stories that are important to Bayside because you have a voice, a strong voice, a voice of transformation. So tonight in this interview, what we're doing is we're telling stories. I'm interviewing your founding pastors and your pastors <laughs> and finding out about the story that makes Bayside what it is today and how it points to the future and why is that important? Because the stories that we tell about Bayside affects you. It affects us collaboratively, who you are as a community, how you serve people out there. So as you're listening to these stories, don't be a passive listener. Listen with that wonderful Greek word, catharsis. It has to do with Greek tragedies, and, and the ancient Greek audience used to watch these tragedies unfold, and it used to take them places and move them. And that movement of heart, that movement of emotion was called catharsis. It's how you resonate with someone's story. It's what makes you a good listener. Catharsis listens for how people have responded in times of hardship. Catharsis listens with this, not with a critique, but with a need to learn, okay, how does, where does that move me in my life? As you listen to the stories of Bayside unfolding tonight, what does it say about you and your role in this community? So... With that in mind, let us start. And maybe I'll start with you, Rob. Um, over the last few months, obviously, we've been taking a journey down memory lane with Bayside and the staff and talking about stories of legacy. Any observations or reflections about these stories as they've come more to the surface? Yeah, very much so. And I think it, it kind of is summarised by what you've just said, is that it gives stories give context and so tonight, as we share some of the story of Bayside, I, I recognise that we have a number of people uh, in our uh, congregation who have just raised their hands to say they're here for the very first time. And so you're here for the first time, but there's almost 28 years of story uh, that is, that is backing, backing up what you're experiencing tonight. And so it's been wonderful over the last few months, Nicole, as you've been working with our uh, ministry leaders particularly, as well as the staff, and then uh, to see them have aha moments as they've, because they're, some of them, especially ones who are new uh, on staff, that they've come in without understanding all of the history, and, and when they hear some of the history, some of the stories, they go, aha, yeah, that helps me understand where we're at. And so I think context is important, and also for me personally is gratitude and realising, you know, we hear the, the statement, it takes a village to raise a child. And the church, by the very nature of it, is not one person, it's not a couple. So Christy and I are not Bayside Church. 
Uh, we are the pastors of Bayside Church, but together there's a community of people and it, it takes a village, it takes a, a, a community. And I think over the years I have been absolutely amazed at the faithfulness of people. I am so grateful for the people in our church, uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and our Frankston congregation, uh, who've done the journey of years and years and years, and, and through those years have experienced some wonderful highs and some lows. They've gone through challenges, conflict, all sorts of things, and yet come through the other side refined and, 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 and kind of glued into Bayside, uh, which is wonderful, you know? Um, and so I'm really, really grateful for, for what the stories bring out of the faithfulness of people. Yes, and I, I think what you just said is so interesting, isn't it? It's, it's the highs and lows in our life. It's both and. It's the shadows and the sunlight that makes the stories and makes us strong in many ways. Um, I was interested, obviously, you know, I've read a little bit of the history of Bayside, actually quite a lot of the history of Bayside, and I listened to your, interv um, listened to your testimony, apologies, I listened to your testimonies from a few weeks ago, and I noticed how, and was quite curious about how Ezekiel... 34 really plays an integral part in your life and how you know what Bayside is today. Do you want to speak into that a little bit, like Ezekiel 34 in regards to values and what how it shapes yep. Bayside today? Yeah, for sure. So if you were here a few weeks ago, I shared the story continued, and if you missed that, I'll post that on my Facebook page tonight or tomorrow, and you can um, have a watch of that or a listen. To that, but maybe I'll just read Ezekiel 34, just a couple of verses. Um, Ezekiel 34, verses 2, 3, and 4. And these, these are the verses that God used at the beginning of my call into pastoral ministry. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so just to give you a little bit of background, so a story is the background. It was a Saturday night. It was August 1984. And it was in Western Australia, it was winter, and it was a very similar day to what we experienced yesterday. So it was windy, it was hailing, um, but it wasn't spring. So, but we get that weather in spring. How blessed are we? So it was a Saturday night and I was praying. And uh, I have had a habit for years and years and years of reading scripture every day. And uh, at that particular point of time, I was reading four chapters a day. So I was reading the whole Bible every year. And I was up to Ezekiel 34. And as I read those verses about the false shepherds and the way that they mistreated the sheep, God's people, I started to cry. I was in the church at that time that was very legalistic and controlling. And the pastor uh, and his son uh, ruled the church quite harshly. And so I, I, um, I kind of resonated with these verses. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so I started to go into a time of intercessory prayer where I asked God to raise up 
the opposite of this kind of shepherd. Um, and so that was the beginning. That was the beginning of, of my call um, into pastoral ministry. I never th- thought for one minute that God would actually use me as part of my prayer. I was praying for God to raise up other people. So I guess we need to be careful what we pray for, right? Yeah. I mean, my prayer at the moment is, please, Lord, don't send me to Hawaii. <laughs> but you never know. So getting back to your um, question, Nicole, how do you think this particular scripture has shaped some of the culture and values of Bayside? I, I think... We have a lot of true shepherds at Bayside Church. Um, Certainly, Christy and I do our very best to model what a true shepherd looks like uh, and in our team and in our lay leaders here at Bayside. So if we flip those statements about false shepherds uh, in reverse, we get true shepherds. True shepherds take care of the flock. They strengthen the weak. They heal the sick. They bind up the injured. They bring back the strays. And they lead gently. And that last one is particularly important to me personally because when you exercise gentleness with people, uh, a little bit later in Ezekiel 34, it says that the sheep will lie down when they experience gentleness. Um, Sheep, by the very nature of sheep, can't be made to lie down. You cannot make a sheep lie down. Uh, It will only lie down if it feels safe. And so I believe it's really important for uh, leaders to be true shepherds, to be kind and gentle to people, you know. It doesn't mean that we agree with everything that someone might do or someone might be like, but we're, we're kind and gentle because they're parts of the fruit of the Spirit and, and God's people lie down and rest and settle as a result. And so... Out of that, I've just written a few things here. We don't beat people up with the Word of God. We don't yell at them from the pulpit. We don't manipulate people and beg for money. We always pray for people in need. We have wonderful ministries like healing rooms and celebrate recovery aimed at bringing restoration into people's lives. We provide for people in need and so much more. It's, um, it's so interesting as you're talking because often what, you know, we don't often talk about values in our own life. It's hard to identify values at times because it's quick to talk about values, but it's not always easy to enact them. And what you were just saying then is one of the ways we can identify values in our lives is to notice what we resist. Resistance points to something. When you read Ezekiel 34 all those years ago, you resisted something that you observed. And from that resistance, your, your values in regards to shepherding and leadership became clear or clearer. And it, it, it's, it shaped Bayside's identity today. How do you think, and, and sorry, just a little bit, I'm curious about this. How do you think this will continue to shape Bayside into the future? What's your hope for Bayside in the future in regards to Ezekiel 34? I would like to think that we continue to emulate those qualities uh, there's, there's been some occasions in the past of Bayside where we have had one or two team members who have not exercised gentleness and kindness with the people. Um, you'll notice that they're no longer on our team here at Bayside. I, I, I won't have people on our team who don't treat others with kindness and respect and gentleness. And as long as I'm here, that's going to be the case for the future of Bayside Church. Amen. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you.
Christy, just question too in regards to when I, I read the history of Bayside and I read or listen to your stories, one of the things that stands out to me is courage. It's like in both of your lives, there's this ability to harness courage in necessary times and often, you know, to, to negotiate uncharted waters, to go to places where you feel God is leading and that is not an easy step. And for you, literally, as a young woman, that took you over uncharted waters. Um, can you talk a little bit into that courage? That, how does that continue to shape what Bayside is today? Um, well, I think that's been a bit of a, a journey for me. Um, I feel like as if where Australia is going as a nation, and in fact, I was just talking um, to some people up at Parliament about this in relation to, I feel as if um, we're heading into Groundhog Day. Uh, like, I have experienced um, what we are about to enter into. So, growing up in Ireland, the trouble started in 1967, the year I was born. Uh, I don't think it had anything to do with me, but my parents think differently. And uh, they called it the Troubles, but basically we lived um, 30 years, a reign of terror, and both sides of the community. So I was very aware, conceived and born into a reign of terror, very aware, um, uh, even going into church, um, you know, people had snipers on the roof of their churches in different areas in Northern Ireland, uh, police guard, police escorts, uh, tanks, um, soldiers walking up and down the street with guns uh, in a local town now that looks pristine with beautiful hanging baskets. It seems like another lifetime. Um, you know, security checks, frisking. Some people enjoyed it more than others. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And, but this was a real part of, this was a real part of, of life for me. And I went to a girls' boarding school and it didn't occur to me that we were under high alert. Why were we under high alert? Because we were the potential breeders of the next breed of Protestant uh, people. So terror was very real to me. And um, with my father's work, it also affected our family. And... Uh, I knew people who had been blown up. I knew people who had been um, uh, shot. I, uh, you know, it was very real. And um, so you couldn't live your life in fear. You couldn't live your life as timid. Uh, and so the opposite of timid is bold, uh, courageous. And it's not an option. Um, you can't live your life um, scared. Uh, you can be scared, but you can't. You have to live. You have to look terror in the eye and go ahead anyway. Um, and so it's interesting because even in some of the things that God has called me into, like um, the executions, uh, things that I saw didn't affect me the same way as they affected other people. And I was also able to give um, information to the powers that needed the information because I looked at it a completely different way. Uh, so... In that, I know that it's important, um, so important for us uh, as a church to face with great courage uh, what lies ahead. And it's not going to be a sit down and a, an easy ride for the next 20 years. Um, you know, yes, we will, we will have the, the, the uh, power of God with us. We will have, God will be more than enough. But we are living in different days, and we have to wake up and realize that. 
And I think that's one of the things that I had an early wake-up call as a child. So I recognised those wakening signs. And um, I, I certainly think that in some of the areas that uh, we're involved in as a church and will continue to be involved in, we will be ahead um, because of that, because of that formation, because of listening to the winds of change and listening to what is happening and having an um, almost forensic ear for that. Um, sometimes it's a bother because you think, goodness me, you know, oh, is this really happening again? And, um, but I hope that we, we've, we've gained some wisdom and I hope that we learn from some of the, the strengths of, of experiences through those days as well. So many questions now. <laughs> One of them was, um, you said, you know, we can be scared, mm. but we can't, you know, have that outplayed in our lives. We've got to live, and we mm. would all agree. And yet, what would, what, like, in, in your life history and what you've learned and the skills that you've acquired over time, what would you say to anybody in this room tonight that is struggling with fear and is struggling to live? And how would you say is one thing that you, comes to mind on how to harness courage in those times. In one sentence, and this will surprise you because I can do something in one sentence. <laughs> the, <laughs> never surrender to terror or anxiety and always surrender to the complete and absolute providence of Almighty God because uh, he is the only, only, only thing that will never change in our, in our lifetime. Last question for you on that is um, back to the history of Bayside and, and this phenomenal uh, thing that you just said in regards to don't surrender to terror. Bayside has a history of courage. A history, the very fact that you hear today that you see that vision outplayed is what are your hopes? How will courage play a key role in the future. It's a funny thing that you should say that. This is the eve of when our 18-year-old was meant to take off and go to uh, friends of ours in um, South Africa and then home to Ireland. And I was 18, in fact, I was 17, when I left Ireland to come to a country that I knew nothing about except for the fact that God had spoken to me um, when I was four years old and said that I would be a missionary. And when my parents asked me where, I said, the land where Skippy comes from. And they clearly thought I'd been watching too much TV because they thought who would go to Australia to be, you know, they're, they're not cannibals there. Well, one would wonder, would wonder. But, um, but um, so, uh, so I realized that this was in my DNA. And, um, you know, I think about it now and I think, my parents must have been absolutely crazy. I mean, they let me marry him without even meeting him. They had, I mean, imagine that. In, imagine people that. People of incredible insight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so, so I think it has, it has definitely informed this um, sense of walking with one foot on the ground and one foot in heaven, like ready to go where God says. And, and I think, you know, I, I used to always see Bayside like a, like a ninja, you know, or like one of those, what is it you call those people who jump off walls and what is it called? Parkour. That parkour. You know, God says do it and we just jump from this to this to this to this. And then, you know, about five years ago, 
I realized, gee, willikers, we've become like sumo wrestlers, you know, like just big and, and clumsy and unmovable in some of these things. And, and you know, very, yeah, not so lycra-like, you know? And so I thought, no, I've got to get the tights back on and, um, and, and, and get moving, you know, and, and be ready. I mean, at the moment, um, it's really interesting to me that uh, the army are brilliant at acronyms and they use this acronym called VUCA. And we are living in the days of VUCA, which means we're living in the age of volatility, uncertainty, chaos, and the only way that we're going to get through it is agility. You like that word. And I just believe that as a church, we've got to be agile. Um, You know, agile is the new black. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) (laughs) So that is bravery, to be agile in a, a, whenever, and especially when things are moving, sometimes you want to dig your heels in and hold tighter onto the current position. But that's going to kill you. So we've got to be... You know, on the move. Thank you. Anselm is on the move, and so are we. Yep. Thank you. Um, Rob, reading through the history of um, Bayside, listening to your testimony, there's some people that have impacted your life personally and that have impacted, even though they may not be in the midst now, or some are, um, that have impacted who Bayside is, the identity of Bayside, names like Fred Lancaster and Edwin Thomas come to mind and probably people, if they stood here, they would not be surprised to see what's happening. Uh, Can you tell us about these people um, and maybe other ones that have not been mentioned, how they've influenced your life and how in turn they have shaped what Bayside is? For sure. I mean, Fred Lancaster was one of my lecturers at Bible College in the mid-80s. He was, at that time, in his mid-60s, and he lived to a ripe old age. I think he only passed away just a few years ago. And he was this little guy. He'd been in the Second World War, been in the trenches, and, uh, and he just told us stories. Amazing guy. He was supposed to lecture, he was supposed to teach, and he did on occasion. But then he would, <laughs> he would go off onto tangents and tell us stories, and we would sit there young men as we were in our early to mid-twenties and, and just soak in what he had to say. So much so that myself and, and two or three of my mates at, at Bible College, we would invite ourselves around to Pastor Fred's house on a fairly regular basis. We, we would just arrive unannounced in the evening and his wife was very gracious and she would let us in and We'd go into the lounge. This was in Katoomba in New South Wales in the Blue Mountains. So it was always cold. I mean, we had snow in November. So it was, it was always cold. They always had a log fire going. And we would basically... Pastor Fred would sit in his armchair and we'd sit on the carpet. And his wife would bring Milo's and Tim Tams in. And I learned how to drink Milo through a Tim Tam in Bible college. Um, if you've never you done it, just, at that just, moment. just do it, you know. Bite a little bit of each end and use it as a straw in your Milo. But pop it into your mouth really quickly, otherwise it dissolves and runs down your arm. But we would sit there for a couple of hours and we would just ask him questions and, and he would give us answers and tell stories. And so in, incredible formation. And, and as you said before, facts are interesting, but stories are life-changing. 
and, uh, and to hear those things moulded us as young men. And, uh, and, and, and I believe that that's been a big, a big part of my own formation, listening to him. The other one, other guy you mentioned is Edwin Thomas, and, and he was this delightful old Welshman. He was 83 when he came to our church in Western Australia. And uh, our pastor, who I mentioned before, who, who led quite harshly, he and his wife and family had gone away for a few months on sabbatical. And Edwin Thomas came in he, to look after the church. He had uh, come to faith in Christ during the Welsh revival in the early part of last century. And he was this amazing man. He received a prophetic word when he was in, in his 40s that he would travel the nations teaching. 20 years later, when his wife passed away, he started his travelling ministry in his late 60s. And he was now 83 and still travelling and still teaching the word. And shortly after the events where I had had that incredible experience with God in Ezekiel 34 and a lot of tears and a lot of prayer, I went into uh, the church building one day to pick songs because I was one of their worship leaders in the church. And uh, he called me into his office and he said that he'd been praying for me and that God had shown him that I was called to be a pastor. And uh, he told me which Bible college to go to. He said, I want you to do three years in this college in, in Katoomba. Um, I wanted to do one year in another Bible college. And can I tell you, I'm so glad I listened to him. Um, three years. And, and I wrote to him on quite a few occasions. In fact, we corresponded for quite a few years until he, till he passed away. And so, again, hugely impacting on my life. And uh, I will add one more uh, to that, and that would be Kevin Connor, Mark, your dad, um, who as a young pastor in Melbourne kind of took me under his wing with a few other guys and invited me to his uh, monthly pastor's roundtable at what was then Waverley Christian Fellowship. And I would go up there, I think it was Mondays, or Mondays or Fridays, I can't remember which day it was now, but uh, once a month and, and enjoy that roundtable. And at one of those, I asked him to come and preach at Bayside and that's when we had just moved out of the funeral parlour and we were in Cheltenham Primary School Hall and there was probably, I don't know, maybe 60, 70 people in the church and I invited him to come and preach and he said yes and I think he, he said yes before he'd thought about it because when he rocked up on that Sunday morning he looked at me and he looked at the number of people in the chairs and he said, how did you get me to agree to this? And I said, I asked you and you said yes. And, and, and he preached. And, uh, and I love the fact that he did that. You know, I mean, he was in massive demand all around the world and, uh, and in big churches, not little church plants like Bayside. Uh, but I loved the humility of the man and, uh, again, his input of the word and stories. And so those, those guys, there's others, um, but they believed in me as a young bloke um, and they recognised, valued and validated the gifts of God in my life. And so the other part of your question was what would they say to me right now? Um, and I, it's an interesting question. I, I just sat down for a few minutes earlier in the week and tried to visualise them coming to me and what they would say. And so these are the words they spoke. You've done well, brother. That was said with a Welsh accent. Just so you know, but I can't do Welsh. I always end That's up in fine. Indian. <laughs> I don't know why, you know, it's just like, you've done well, brother. I knew you could do it, you and God together. I'm very proud of you. 
stay the course, be courageous. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Christy, any people you'd like to add? Or yeah, absolutely. Um, I find it absolutely fascinating how, you know, we often talk about somebody's born in such and such a time, there's a dash and then the death date. And we always talk about the thing that happened in the dash. But I actually, I love the idea of the ellipses, the dot, 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 what happens next. And there was one man by the name of uh, Dr. Bill Holly, and he was our local doctor. And one time when I had got lost in a supermarket and nobody could find me, and my parents eventually found me and they were ready to give me a good spank on the backside. And I said, I want to speak to Dr. Holly. I want to speak to the Reverend Park. I want to speak to Don McClay. And I went through all the lawyer, the doctor, the accountant, everybody, you know, as my, as my uh, advocates. But we as young adults used to always go to um, people's homes after church. And, you know, it was more about the food and the talent than it was about the Bible study. And um, we all used to sit there, and Bill Holly used to pray. And at the end of every prayer, he would say, God, send your people to the islands of the sea. And so as he was about to finish the prayer, because the prayer would go for a very long time before food, we would look up, everybody had their head bowed, and all the young adults would look up and go, send the islands of the sea, like this, and make a joke of it. Well, the funniest thing is that um, we were in Sabah, Borneo, uh, 10 years ago, and Bill Holly's dead now over 30 years, maybe 40 years. And there was a guy there called Philip Lim, who you've met in the church. And I went to the church, and uh, he said, Hi, uh, welcome to church. Rob was being really godly and sitting at the pool, and I decided to go to church. And, uh, um, and I said, oh, I'm from Australia. He said, you don't sound like you're from Australia. You sound like you're from Northern Ireland. And I said, oh, good for you. And he said, yeah, North Antrim Coast accent, I would say. I said, seriously? And he said, yes, let's have lunch after, after uh, church. So it really caused a lot of confusion because there was a prophet there. And he looked at me and he said, you're going to carry the fire of God to Australia. Meanwhile, this, Ar this guy's thinking, well, she's Irish. But she's like, very confusing moment. But the long and the short of it was that this is, this is in Kota Kinabalu, right? In Sabah, the island of the sea. Big, uh, a very big um, uh, deep water mooring for boats. Uh, Operation Mobilization had gone in there. And this was all the brainchild of a Christian businessman. And I said to him, you said that you're... Um, mentor was from the North Antrim coast. I said, because they're bivocational, a lot of the pastors there, and I said, you mean your doctor mentor or your scriptural mentor, your, your pastor mentor? He said, well, he's actually both. And I said, let me take a guess, Bill Holly. And there was an island of the sea. And it wasn't until recently that people have said to me, yeah, well, you're in the island of the sea. You're in a big island, Australia. And you've been working in Africa, a very big island. And, you know, you're working in, uh, you know, in, in Indonesia. And I thought to myself, goodness me, I am the result of some of those island of the sea um, prayers. So Bill Holly definitely won. And then the other family, the Linus family, uh, business people, um, Norman and Linda Linus, incredible people who had a very, who have a very successful business. 
And he just did everything to mobilize young adults and do things that were totally countercultural, um, created a night base, you know, bravery plus. And um, last time I, I saw him, he's actually um, had a stroke and a brain um, tumor, and he's on his home journey at the moment. And last time I saw him, he said, oh, Christy, he said, I do like you, but you are a hard one to handle. And he said, and do you know why I know that? Because you're the same as me, like this. And so there was him and then Tom and Heather Hamilton, another, uh, Tom is now with the Lord and Heather, still go on. These people who were not in ministry per se, but great couples who were always around to support you and say, you can do it. And what would they say? They would say, one of them would say, well, there's always something different about you. And the other one would say, you know, we knew, we knew this. We always knew there was something about you that we couldn't put our finger on, mainly causing trouble. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really great exercise, what we're doing right now, to think about people in your lives that have influenced who you are today. You know, often when times of trauma or crisis try to silence us or dominate our lives. We think about the people that build into positive identity and positive shaping who we are or even our organization. And we think about them and we visualize and we go, what would they say right now? And what would they say to us right now? And what would they say right now into this traumatic situation? And it's amazing because we are a community. We are here today because of many stories and also the stories of others. Um, Rob, in your testimony recently, you spoke uh, at Bayside, you said, and I quote, when you put a few hundred imperfect people together in one place, it will never end with perfection. It will be messy. And messy seems to be a word that resonates with you. And I really, I'm, I really like that. It, it's so counter the dominant culture that is obsessed about perfection and order. It's also countercultural to so many church settings where control is really, really important. And you have this hierarchical you know, way of controlling people and controlling situations. How does the word messy inform your leadership and how you collaborate with others? It's a great question. I, I like and also dislike the word messy. And I think, for me, it's actually countercultural because I'm a perfectionist and I like everything just so. I like things really well done. I love excellence. Uh, but also realize that when you're working with a community of people who, and we are all so different. In fact, the, the only thing that unifies us ultimately is Jesus Christ, is it not? So if it wasn't for Jesus, most of us would not know each other. We would move in different parts of the community, different circles, all of that kind of thing. So we may not ever have met one another, but because of Jesus, we know each other. So that's wonderful, but of course it will lead to mess. And, and I say that statement as a reality check. I think it's really important for us to be realistic I remember a number of years ago receiving a message, a letter actually, from a lady who lived locally. It was written to me in the board and it went something like this. Uh, we have been in a number of different churches. All of them have let us down in one way or another. We're thinking of coming to Bayside, but we would like a guarantee <laughs> that you won't let us down or, be a, a, or offend us. I just wrote back and said, sorry, I cannot give you that guarantee. In fact, I'll give you the, exactly the opposite. 
if you join Bayside or any church that's full of imperfect people, you're never, ever, ever going to experience perfection. And so they never came, you know, which, which may have been a blessing for them and for us. Who knows? Um, and so the word messy helps me to address my own perfectionism. And over the years, I've got better. And so I have dropped my expectation level. Um, I, I, first of all, I dropped it to 90%, but that was still too high. So I dropped it to 70, but that was still high. So these days, I'm kind of, if I get half what I expect, or I, I think it's good, you know, and I think perfectionists in the room and, and, and those of us in our Frankston campus, drop, drop your expectation level in life and drop your expectation level of your church and your church community. Otherwise, you'll be like a whole stack of people in every city who are constantly looking for the perfect church. And now I always say, if you find it, for goodness sake, don't join it, because you'll ruin it for them, you know? I think, I think there, is no, there is no perfect church. But one of, the, one of the buzzwords is the word authentic. Everybody wants you to be authentic. But when you actually are authentic, it's not the kind of authentic they're looking for. So it's like, it's like uh, you know, it's like I am a human being. You know, sometimes I feel like I am squeezed and pressed and pushed and everything. I mean, there is no other sane person that would take their entire family to their workplace, that would mess up the roles of um, employer, employee, uh, husband, wife. I mean, who would take their husband and wife and kids and they be normal in an environment where, every, and there is no escape. You, if you don't like us, you can come and talk to each other. We can't do that. We, 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 it's like, and if we're having a bad week, we can't run away somewhere. You are, you are forced to press in with each other and with God. And it is such a um, unique environment. Mm. And so I think the thing is that we've got to remember that Jesus did not die because we were perfect. That's right. He didn't die because he had a problem with our humanity. He died because he wanted us to fully embrace our humanity and the humanity of others around us. Mm. And yes, one day I'm going to be the one that causes you the pain. God have mercy on you. And the next day, you're going to be the one that causes me the pain. Mm. God have mercy on me. And God have mercy on all the people that we inflict ourselves upon. Because we do. That's great. And we have to wake up to that. Very good. Very good. I love there that. There you go. <laughs> um, I am aware we're running rapidly out of time. So that's I'm, okay. Is we're, that, we're fine. <laughs> I've got question. one more question for you, Christy. Um, just on your love for your global neighbor, which is very obvious and is very obvious in anybody who's known Christie's um, recent journeys with the Bali Nine and, uh, you know, the journey with Andrew and Mayu. How does your love, your joint love for your global neighbor shape who Bayside is and is becoming? Well, I think that Christianity is a global faith. Um, God is a global God. The image of God is as much in an Indonesian child as it is in an Irish child, an African child, and an Australian child. And the minute that any church, any person, any nation says, let's put our church first, let's put um, 
our family first. Let's put our nation first. We uh, put ourselves in a position where we start to uh, come in on ourselves. So we have to constantly be looking out in order to uh, reach out and to see uh, the the just to see God in all different cultures and in all different peoples. And I believe that um, that, that is the essence of, um, of what, what God has for us. He's a global God. He's not just an Australian God, He's, you know? Yeah. So. Beautiful. It's so beautiful. God loved the world. He did. Yeah. yeah. He did. Um, he does. Rob, he does. <laughs> and he will. Rob, how would you sum up Bayside's legacy, words, and how does that legacy, you know, when we think of stories, we think of our stories past, present, future, and how often the stories of the past inform our future and our present. So, in, you know, summing up Bayside's legacy, how does that shape the future? Well, okay. So, I, as I look back, I see certain words that would typify Bayside. I think as a, as a community over the years, there's been hundreds of people who have demonstrated a very high level of faithfulness and commitment to God, to one another, uh, and to their local church. You know, as I alluded to a moment ago, when people are always looking for perfection and they're not happy with the mess, they will go and try and find it somewhere else. But all we do is then we deal with... And I'm not saying, you know, some there are times where people need to relocate to another church for whatever reason, but... But I think there's too much of that going on. I really do. Way too much. And, and we need to actually put our roots down and, and deal with the stuff and, and stay strong. And I see, I see hundreds of people at Bayside who have modelled that through faithfulness and through courage for many years. And I would love to see those two words typify our future. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I think we're going to finish, and I'm going to hand it to Christy for some prayer. And you had, you had were you going to read a prophecy? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the questions, the last question that um, that Nicole uh, had here on the on the sheet were, "What are your hopes and dreams for Bayside Church in the future?" And uh, earlier in the year, the Lord gave me a prophetic word for the church. You may remember, and I read that over you, and I want to read it to you again, and then Christy's going to lead us in a reflective prayer. But I prophesy that God is bringing us into a new time of his presence, that Bayside Church will be all the more magnificent and marvellous because of the presence of God filling and empowering all we do. People who have been rejected or exhausted by other churches will find a home here. New people will come and join us, and some of those who have moved on for whatever reason will realise that this is the house God has planted them in and they will return to continue their journey with us. I proclaim we will see many people choose to become followers of Jesus, to have their sins forgiven and their lives transformed by the gospel. This transformation will inspire their family and friends who will also come and see what has caused such change. Some of them will also receive Jesus Christ as their saviour. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever, Daniel 12, 3. I declare that God is raising up new leaders, new connect groups, fires around the bay where God's people can enjoy genuine community, 
pray and care for one another and reach out to their neighbours. And I see an increase in boldness for God's people. Not that we become brash and bombastic, but rather out of humility and compassion towards the hurting, we would offer to pray and genuinely care for the poor, the sick, the lonely, the imprisoned and the marginalised. That God will make your righteousness go forth as the light and your justice as the noonday sun, Psalm 37, 6. And that the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant my peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Amen.